Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello friends and welcome to another edition of the Bleed Los Podcast. This podcast is brought to you by our good friends at FOCO, F-O-C-O dot com, FOCO. For uh, being a loyal listener to this podcast, if you clink, uh, click excuse me, on the link describing the podcast, it'll take you to FOCO's website, add whatever you want to the cart, and, uh, and that's it. You'll get a discount for being a loyal listener to this here Bleed Los podcast. So huge thanks to FOCO. They have a fantastic selection of bobbleheads, Dodgers merchandise, shoes, Hawaiian shirts, sombreros. They got it all. So check it out. Foco.com. Huge thanks to them for uh, for the support. Terms and conditions do apply. Please see their website for further details. Uh, again, Foco. And uh, our good friends at Bleed Los. Same exact name as us. Just uh, not a podcast. www.bleedlos.com. They have all... Of the Dodger fandom clothing you can think of. Joe Kelly Fight Club shirt in preparation for that Houston Astros series. You can get it there. Uh, you can get a, you, you can get a Walker F. and Bueller shirts. You know, to support the man. You can get them there. Bleedloss.com. For being a loyal listener to this year podcast. If you use the code BLEEDLOSSPOD. You will save 10% on your purchase. Again, terms and conditions to apply. Please see their store for more details. Bleedlos.com. Huge thanks to them. And a huge thanks to you guys, the uh, supporters, subscribers, reviewers, listeners, followers of this year podcast. If it wasn't for you guys, honestly, we uh, we wouldn't be where we are right now. So huge thanks to each and every one of you. Uh, please, if you haven't, subscribe, review, uh, follow uh, the uh, the Twitter account at BleedlosPod. And we're also on Instagram now. Uh, same, uh, same handle, at BleedlosPod. Uh, so please, give us a follow. Shoot us questions, shoot the breeze with us, and we'll gladly engage. But for now, here's another edition of the Bleed Los Podcast. Hey fans, this is Todd Lights, public address announcer for your world champion Los Angeles Dodgers, and you are listening to the Bleed Lows Podcast with your hosts Alonso and Juan, with the baby face gimmick in the sky, Roger. Well, Juan, it looks like we had ourselves another interesting week. We uh, we went from uh, the highs of a, of a, of a sweep to uh, the highs of getting swept, <laughs> or rather the lows of getting swept. Um, and also you throw in a, a no hitter against the Dodgers and here we are. I kind of want to, uh, I'm curious to hear how, uh, how are you feeling as we, as we kind of go into, uh, the recap of the week, if you will. Uh, look, I, I said it last week when we were doing the predictions, I thought it was going to be a rough week for the Dodgers. I didn't think it was going to be this rough. I mean, that Padre series was, that was just, you know, to steal a word from, you know, to steal a phrase from Babyface. We just got our asses kicked. And it's just one of those things that that game, the closest game in the series, that three to two game actually was only close because that these made that error to score that second run. If that these doesn't make that error, it's a three to one ball game. So I just, I don't get it, man. I just don't know why. First of all, the Padres just, they come to play against the Dodgers and then suck against the rest of the National League. Could you imagine how good the show pods would be if they played against the rest of the league the way they play against the Dodgers? 
it's yeah. and it's crazy because they're in third place. I mean, they're behind the Dodgers. So I, I it just scares me, man, because that team just feels like the the Chopins have so much energy. And if the Giants continue on this crazy tear they're on, and it's a one game playoff wild card game before the against the show pods, and the show pods come in with that energy, that makes me very very nervous. Well, and leading into uh to our guest this week, Juan uh, Juan Toribio even points you know alludes to the point that the Padres are kind of a matchup nightmare for the Dodgers, and uh, and you know obviously we talked about them a little bit before the season started in the sense of their you know their intangibles, and we've talked about it even with Jorge Castillo about how that these is, you know, a legit shortstop. You know, the defensively, the Padres are pretty good, yada, yada, yada. And they're showing it, right? But to your point, they're still third in, in the National League with uh, the fighting Giants up in San Francisco with 50 wins already as of as of the recording of this podcast, which is now Sunday. And, uh, but I mean, they're right there. I mean, the Dodgers and the Padres have almost identical records. That's what's nuts. But it's funny, though, because the thing that, that we've talked about for the last couple of weeks is the inconsistencies. And the Padres kind of have some of those inconsistencies as do the Dodgers where they have these magnificent games and then bam, lay an egg. So it has been interesting to see, but all things considered, I, before we jump into that interview, I did want to hear from you, you know, before we talk to Juan, you Juan Ramirez, not Juan Tavidio. Uh, (laughs) What was your takeaway from that? No hitter. Uh, That's just one of those things that scratch. It's just a head scratcher to me. And, And it probably is a perfect microcosm of the Dodgers season because the Dodgers had eight walks in that game. They had runners on base throughout that whole game and they couldn't do anything. And, and that's the other thing that I just can't figure out about this team. You look at that lineup and that lineup should be producing right now. It seems like the lineup is the weakest part of this team. They're the ones that aren't, you know, pulling their end of the deal, so to speak, because, starting pitching is keeping them in games, but I don't get it, man. I just, I don't understand, you know, getting no hit like that from a guy who had an ERA, I think going into it, his ERA was over five. And then during the course of the game, it was in the fours, but I mean, it just goes to show you, right. Any, any night, anything can happen. I mean, these guys are professional hitters. It's just, it happens. But if you're one of those people that believes in numbers, if you go back in 1981, when the Dodgers won the World Series, they got no hit. In 88, when they won the World Series, Tom Browning threw a perfect game against them. So if we're going to go by that standards, then maybe it's a good omen for the Dodgers and they'll end up winning the World Series. But it's just something I can't figure out. I, I, I like I, the same way the show pods, the show pods have won seven out of 10 against the Dodgers this year. So it's not just one of those things like those guys have come out. And I don't know if it's necessarily a bad thing for the Dodgers, because you've seen it before in history where a team has dominated a team in the regular season and then the playoffs come and that domination doesn't translate. But I will say this, I think it does wonders for the show pods. I think the show pods are very confident about the Do- facing the Dodgers. I think the jo- the show pods want to face the Dodgers in the postseason. And interestingly enough, too, uh, before we jump uh, to, to the Carnasada with Juan Toribio, uh, Mookie Betts is having his slowest start uh, in his, his major league career. 
And I feel like that's kind of flying under the radar to a certain degree because of where, you know, because of the lineup that the Dodgers do have. And, you know, obviously if, you know, Cody Bellinger isn't in that lineup, Justin Turner isn't in that lineup, uh, you know, even, even the likes of Chris Taylor, you know, at this point, Corey Seager, obviously, I feel like that would be standing out. That'd be hurting them, right? Just like if that these were to go down for a significant amount of time for the Padres, that, that would affect them. But the Dodgers, because the way that it's set up and the, the current lineup, which is ironically still like to your point, the biggest liability right now is it's interesting to see that dichotomy and how they police that. But Mookie, and we'll talk about this on the other side, Mookie had a great game today, uh, today being Sunday. So I'm hopeful and optimistic that the bats are starting to wake up slightly. But as you guys will hear here in a second, we have uh, Juan Toribio of uh, MLB.com. He is the Dodgers beat reporter for the Dodgers. That's such a tongue twister that I can't do ever. But anyway, he joins us for uh, for a little bit. Uh, we talk about that no hitter and, uh, and and kind of looking ahead. So here is a uh, here is Juan in the Canasa. Hey, this is Todd Lights, public address announcer for your Los Angeles Dodgers, and you are listening to the Bleed Los podcast. And uh, we are joined here for a few minutes by uh, MLB.com Dodgers beat reporter Juan Toribio. Juan, last night you were at the game. Obviously, morale is uh, is shall we say suspect right now, but uh, what was uh, what was the vibe like after after the uh, Dodgers were I, I can't even believe I'm about to say this they were no hit by the Cubs. Yeah, it was actually kind of interesting. Um, the first guy we got on Zoom was Walker Buter, so you know he didn't really have much to say. Um, he wasn't part of the story yesterday, even though he gave those two home runs. But he just said, you know, it is what it is. We'll take it. We'll move on to the next day. But I guess, like I said, he's not a hitter. I mean, I guess he ha- technically has to hit, but he's not a hitter. He's not. He wasn't part of the problem of the no hit. Um, and then maybe two, three minutes later, we got Mookie Betts, um, and Mookie kind of had some interesting things. He said, "You know, I don't know a te- I don't know a team that is hot for 162 games." Um, and then ten minutes after that, we got Dave Roberts, and he said, "Yeah, I agree with that, but at the same time, we need to be better at being consistent." Uh, consistent and uh, kind of do it on a, on a daily basis with our preparation and the game plan. So um, it was a little bit interesting. Uh, Roberts at, of the three, probably Roberts was the one that took it a little bit more personal last night. The players were just kind of like, you know, we'll just come back tomorrow, um, which is interesting, but I guess it's kind of part of what makes this team so good and what, why, why they've been so successful in the past. The problem is that they haven't been, not only have they not been hot for 162, they haven't been hot for a, a long period of, of time since maybe what the, the first 17 games of the season. So um, they're going to have to figure some things out. Consistency has been an issue for them. They're, they're a really good offense and they're going to get better with Seager, but they need to find a, a way to be more consistent and not just be so streaky. Okay, yo. Um, so I've been hearing, I mean, what was really interesting for me was the comments the post-game comments this week, you mentioned Roberts, but you know, after the, the Padres swept the Dodgers, you know, Roberts said they got outplayed. Trevor Bauer said they just had more intensity than we did. A lot of those things to me speak to effort. I know that you're not in the locker rooms. I know everything is in, in zoom, but this mentality that they have of, I, I get it. It's 162 games. It's a marathon. But is there something going on in that locker room that they're just taking a lackadaisical approach to these games? 
Um, like, like you said, it's a little bit tougher for me. Um, obviously, it's my first season here, so I, I can't really draw on like you know previous clubhouses and stuff. Like, I don't even know what the clubhouse at Dodger Stadium looks like. Um, so it's a little bit tough for me to answer that question. But I, I guess my gut feeling is that there's not really a problem. I think they're waiting to be healthy, um, and you know who knows if that moment comes. You know, we don't know what the future holds, and they might get Seager back, and you know someone else might go down. Um, so at some point, I agree with you. At some point, they're going to have to say, okay, like we need to play with some sense of urgency here. We're, we're four and a half games back of first place to a, you know, behind a team in the Giants who like never loses anymore. Um, and a team like the, like the Padres who are really talented and they're pretty bad. They're a pretty bad head to head matchup for the Dodgers. Um, so they're going to have to play better overall. They're going to have to play better against those two teams, especially. Um, so at some point, whether it's, post all-star break or whenever they're going to have to, okay, like figure this out. It's not like we'll come back tomorrow and try and win a game. It's like, we got to put together a pretty good stretch here against good teams. Cause they, I mean, they're, they're coming off a stretch where they went 10 and two um, in their last 12 before they went to San Diego, but that was against Pittsburgh, the uh, Texas, uh, Philadelphia, and then Atlanta, which were all under five, all teams under 500, three of them being last place teams. So at some point they're going to have to be, good teams consistently um and then you know who knows if if, if that comes and you know they believe they if they believe it will they're just gonna have to sh- start showing it now Juan, i'm curious to to hear your take on this because as you said mookie you know mookie came out and said that there's no you know real concern with the offense despite that streakiness you know the lack of consistency dave roberts obviously kind of you know disagreed with that to a certain degree right you know but but like you said you know the giants are legit uh, we, you know, we, I've been talking about it, you know, Roger happily d- disagrees with me, but they are legit. In my opinion, they're the best team in baseball. Uh, and the Padres are good. Obviously this is in my opinion, also the best division in baseball. It's not even close with that. Obviously they have to play the Padres and they have to play the giants a bunch between now and the end of the season. A- at what point do you think that they need to make a move, if any, to enhance that offense that has been so inconsistent up to this point through 70 ish games of, of the season? Yeah, I think that'd be an interesting part. I mean, if you look at their starting lineup as a whole, you get Seager back and you're in pretty good shape. Um, then your lineup is what it is. Now it's just a matter of being consistent enough to like put up runs on, uh, on, a, on a nightly basis. Um, I think where they need to make a move is somewhere in the pitching staff. I think they, they need to either add another bullpen guy or two bullpen guys or add a starter. I mean, you're looking at a guy like, like Julio Diaz, who's, you know, he's been a good pitcher so far this season, but He's already career high in innings, and we're not even halfway through the season. Uh, I got like Tony Gonson who's pitching tonight, and he's already been dealing with some shoulder issues um, that kind of creeped up again before his last start. So I think that might be an, an, an area where they might need to add someone. The problem is, who do you add? I mean, there's, there's you know, the, maybe Max Scherzer might have been a possibility. Um, just speculating here, not a, any inside info. But now the Nationals are good again. You know, they're three and a half games. The Nationals are closer to first place than the Dodgers are. So, you know, he might be out of the window. You know, a lot of things can change in a month. Um, so who do you go after? Kevin Gosman would have been a good possibility, but, you know, the Giants aren't going to trade him. So it's, it's going to be a pretty tricky thing. It's going to have to come from within. I think they're going to have to figure it, figure it out with the team that they have right now. Um, and at some, like I said, at some point, like if you look at their schedule, like not to harp on this point too much, but, you know, the three and seven against the Padres, they just lost three or four to the Giants. They're 0-4 against the Cubs. They're 1-3 against Milwaukee. And like that's, that's the theme right now is that they're not beating good teams. 
Um, so they're gonna play the Diamondbacks and they're gonna play they're gonna play Colorado. So you know they'll be fine there. They'll they'll win those games. Now it's just a matter of beating the good teams. And with that, uh, we we talked about it on our last episode of the podcast. Is it surprising to you that David Price hasn't been elevated as a starter, or is it more of of they're trying to to get him up to strength and up to speed, if you will, since he did sit out last year because of he opted out? Um, you know, because I'm still a little perplexed that they haven't elevated David to be that fifth guy. What what say you to that? Yeah, I think I I, we, I think we've all been pretty surprised. I, Tony Gonson yesterday said he was surprised that they didn't try and make David Price the number five starter when Gonson was out. Um, right before, you know, during that stretch where they lost Maine, they were waiting for Gonsolin. Um, But at the same time, I mean, Price hasn't really been necessarily that good in the last, you know, three weeks. So they, they, there's that dilemma as well. Jimmy Nelson's kind of the same thing. They don't want to blow out his arm or anything like that. They don't want to get him hurt. Um, and David Price didn't pitch last year. I mean, that's that's a valid thing. I mean, he, he it's been two seasons since he hasn't since he's pitched a lot of innings. So that, that was a concern of them, of theirs, but at some point they might have to, I mean, you know, you, you obviously don't want to get a guy get hurt, but the possibility of someone getting hurt, it's always there. And if one more guy gets hurt, it, they're going to have to figure things out. And it might have to be David Price, or like I said, go out and trade for a starter. Just that market isn't as good as it's been in years past. Why, you know, I think you're a good person to ask this, considering this is your first year covering the team. But I, looking at the reaction of fans, and I don't know how much engagement you have with fans, but everyone having a meltdown yesterday, and the Dodgers suck, the Dodgers are the worst team, they should be relegated to the minors, you know, and, and stuff like that. I, the problem that I have is the fact that we just ignore the fact that the Dodgers had a lot, took a lot of risk going into this year. And you mentioned it already. We're not using certain players in certain situations because of risk of them getting hurt. If everything went right, sure, Bill Plaschke and all these guys would be right. Maybe this would be the greatest team. But there is also a chance that a lot of things could go wrong for the Dodgers. And I feel that's what's happening here. That and along the fact that you said, you know, I, I feel a lot of teams have gotten better. Can you talk to me about the risks that the Dodgers went into in making up this roster this year? And why are the Padres such a bad matchup for the Dodgers? Well, let's start with the Padres there. Like the Padres are a bad matchup because they have this youthful thing to them where like, and I think there's, I think there's something to be said. And I kind of experienced this in Tampa a lot. It's like the Rays were this young team, which with nothing to lose going up against the Yankees with, you know, an endless paycheck. And they had everything to lose. And the Rays would play those games, just kind of lose. And if they won, great. If they lost, nobody expected them to win. Um, and I think the Padres have, not, not to that extent, but I think they have that to them, playing in their favor. They're just excited to be playing in meaningful games again. I mean, if you looked at that stadium in Petco Park, like it was 11,000, 12,000 fans less than Dodger Stadium holds in full capacity. And it was loud. It was loud as hell. Like, those people were just excited about the Padres. Like the beat LA chants that were really loud. Um, and a, a team that's that young feeds off of that. So I think that's, that's kind of part of the danger that those guys present. Aside from the fact that they're very talented, they pitch very well, and they run the bases extremely like, better than anyone in baseball. And that's one area where the Dodgers are susceptible. I mean, it's, a lot of their pitchers aren't good at holding runners. Um, Will Smith is a good thrower to second base. 
Austin Barnes is not so much. So I think that's that's an area where they need to clean up in, in future matchups. So a lot of things there that just kind of it seems like it's the kind of the perfect storm. Um, but then the Dodgers have the experience. So it's one of those things where it's just a matter of executing. And, and so far, the projects are executing better than the Dodgers are in those in those matchups. And as far as kind of the, the fan reaction, like I was actually thinking about this earlier today. It's like Dodgers are 44 and 31. If they play 500 ball the rest of the way, they're probably still making the playoffs. And are they going to play 500 ball? No shot. Like they're going to be better than playing 500 ball. So I think it's, I think last season, um, and I think even on the media side, we're kind of victim of that. The 60 game season and just the urgency that those that season presented kind of made you forget about a 162 and just the ups and downs that go into that season. Um, you know, I remember in 2019, and again, I can only draw back on the, on the Rays, but like 2019, they had a terrible stretch in June and that team won 97 games. So it's one of those things where ups and downs happen in, in, in baseball. Um, there is some risk for concern because the, the pitching staff, especially pitched more innings than anybody in baseball last year. So that, that's, that's always a concern, but at some point, like I said, at some point, you're just going to have to let those guys go and try and win some games. Is a, uh, and by the way, you know, to, to not just say all doom and gloom, uh, this, that was the first decision that Walker Buehler had lost in his, in his 31 starts, including the postseason. Yes. Last night uh, with that no hitter loss. So it's, you know, we, we try not to harp on the gloom and doom, but at the same time, it's, it's, it's interesting because the Dodgers have been so good for so long that, you know, this is a stretch that I don't think we've seen really since 2017, you know, where, where they're so inconsistent and they're, they're, they're kind of hard to say, you know, Hey, maybe they are going to win, you know, these the split this series. And, and I can't remember in that, in that period where there's been a point where you said, Hey, the Dodgers, if they split this series, then they're doing good. You know, if, if they go out and take one of four, you know, one of three, whatever, but that's kind of the point that we've reached, you know, because to your point, the Padres, are, are a, a really, really bad matchup for the Dodgers. And I think people uh, undertook that, right? But I think another, I'm curious to hear your take on this because there's been a lot of talk today on, on, on the Twitter about how the Dodgers aren't loose. You know, the Dodgers have, have lost Kike. They lost Jock. You know, they lost those guys. The, the irony of bringing that up because Jock got his ring last night. But, but uh, you know, they don't have that guy, you know, that guy that's kind of keeping everyone loose. What, what have you seen kind of being around the beat? And I understand, you know, with, with everything, you're not really in the clubhouse. You know, they, they, they go about it a little differently these days. But but what say you to that, you know, to, to that uh to that vibe, if you will, in the dugout in the clubhouse? Yeah, I think there's kind of two things to that, right? It's like back to the, kind of the record and the standing thing. It's like the Dodgers and the Padres have the same record, right? But I think the expectations were completely different. For the Dodgers, it was like, this team's going to win 110 games. Like, this is how good that team is. And if you look at the vibe here in, in LA, it's like, okay, like this team sucks. This team isn't, isn't that good. And then you look at the vibe in San Diego and it's like, this is the best team ever. It's the same record. Um, you know, so I think the, exp- the part of that is, is the expectation. Um, and when you add a guy like Trevor Bauer, you know, reigning Cy Young and we're winner to a team that already won the World Series, that, that's what kind of comes with that. Um, and now could that be tied into them maybe not necessarily being as loose? Maybe. I mean, maybe they maybe they they feel like they should be, you know, 55 and whatever. And they they might be thinking, OK, like, are, are we not this good? But they've also just not been healthy the entire season. I mean, Bellinger is a big part of that clubhouse and he was gone for two months. Corey Seager is a big part of that clubhouse and he, he's been gone for two months. Um, and, and kind of the list goes on. Um, 
so I think part of it is the fact that they haven't been together for a long time. Um, I think Camelback Ranch has has fielded better teams than like some of the major league teams this season. Like just all the guys that go over there for rehab assignments. So I think I think there's part of that. Um, and, and it's tough to say, man. Like I think when when they brought in Albert Pujols, that was like a, a nice shot in the arm for them. I think they, they were in that in the middle of that awful stretch. And adding him, seeing a new face, I think Kershaw kind of said it best. Like in this COVID era, like you get excited when you just see a different face because you're around this team for so long. Um, and now the restrictions are a little bit loosened. But like back then, it was like you go to the hotel, you stay in the hotel, you hang out with your team and, and go to the ballpark with your team. And this is who you spent all day with. Um, so when you add a new player, and maybe that'd be the case again during the trade deadline if they add a couple of pieces. But I think there's certain, there's, there's a lot of things there that, it's a, it's a weird season and it, we're only 70 something games into it too. So um, it's a full season. If they, if they duplicate, the, like I said, if they duplicate the same record for the next 80 something games, they're in pretty good shape. So um, I think the expectation part of it is a big deal. And the, and the team, maybe they're getting a little bit tight, um, but that can easily change. If they win six, seven games in a row, nobody will remember this no hitter. Thank you for bringing up that point. You're right. The Padres have the same record as the Dodgers. And you look at that Padres dugout and they're throwing a concert every five minutes, right? So if they're having such a great time and the Padres are so loose, they have the same record as the Dodgers. So I just don't accept that whole, you know, loose will help you play because the Dodgers have a bunch of red asses on their team too. It's not like Kershaw is the most easygoing guy. And they win games. My issue is this. The Padres have had a losing streak. The Dodgers have had a losing streak. You talked about it. The Giants have not experienced that losing streak. Do you think the Giants can keep this up? And how do you think they do react to that funk that eventually every team goes through in a 162-game season? Yeah, and I think the Giants are a really interesting team because I do think they can keep part of it up i don't know if they're necessarily you know a team that's going to be 30 35 games over 500 um but they pitch extremely well so i think by them having those five guys in the rotation they're gonna be in it they have a good bullpen so they're gonna be in it they're gonna be consistent enough. They're, they're gonna be bad teams because they can pitch that well um and i think the interesting part with the giants is like if you look at their roster like sure they have a couple of young guys but then you have like buster posey who's done this a million times Brandon Crawford, who's been who's been around, Evan Longoria, who's been around, Brandon Belt, who's been around. So they have a lot of those guys from those years where they were a, a pretty good team that maybe they can kind of weather that storm. They can kind of help some of those younger guys. We won't know until that actually happens. And it will happen at some point. Every team goes through that. If not, they'll be the best team of all time, <laughs> like if they don't go through it. So um, it, it'll be interesting to see how they react to that. Um, and they're going to add guys in the deadline too. I mean, that's just kind of the nature of it. They're, they're going to try and maximize that opportunity to try and beat the, the Dodgers and the Padres. Um, yeah. And it, like I said, the Padres thing is interesting. Um, a lot of those guys are, are loose and looseness can only win you so many games at the end of the day, it comes down to talent and everyone's loose when they're winning. I mean, like if you're in a six game losing streak, you're not going to be loose. I don't care if you're, the Dodgers I don't care if you're the Pirates I don't care if, you know it doesn't matter if you're if you're not winning games you're not going to be loose that's just the reality of things like I'll go play slow pitch softball right now and if we're losing like I'm not I'm not going to be like waving a towel after a run you know 
But if we're, if we're on a, a big winning streak, everyone's loose. Like, it's just it's just a human nature of going to the ballpark and expecting to win. And I think at some point the Dodgers are going to have a, a pretty good stretch. Um, they just have to beat the good teams. Like, I think that's ultimately what this comes down to. Like, they're going to beat the Diamondbacks. They're going to beat the Rockies. They're going to beat, you know, the Martins whenever they play them. Like, they're going to beat those teams. And it's a matter of can they beat Washington? Can they beat Milwaukee? Can they beat Chicago? Can they beat the Giants? Can they beat the Padres? There's a lot of good teams in the National League. This might be one of the strongest National Leagues, at least at the top, that we've seen in a, in a, in a, in a pretty decent while. So that's going to be the interesting part. And if they win those games, I promise you that they'll be loose. So you mean to tell me on your softball team, when you guys are losing, you get a six game losing streak, you guys don't go around nut checking each other. I don't know. Uh, I don't even want to talk to them at that point. <laughs> Why am I spending my Sundays here? A man of honesty. We have a uh, Juan Toribio here for a few more minutes. Juan, I wanted to ask you, uh, what can you tell us about uh, the returns, the potential returns of Corey Seager and Corey Kinane? Yeah. So Corey Seager, is, uh, he was supposed to go on a rehab assignment either today or tomorrow. That's not happening anymore. Um, Robert says it's not a setback, um, though he's not playing today. So, we'll, you know, we'll kind of see what, what, that's, what that really means. Um, and he thinks he can still come back early July-ish, sometime before the All-Star break. Um, he said it might be even possible that he doesn't need that, that long of a rehab assignment. They just want to make sure that that hand is healed. They don't want to bring him back just to bring him back and then, you know, he takes a bad swing, gets jammed or something, and that hand gets hurt again. So they're taking the long-term approach when it comes to him, as they, as they should. They can't, they can't afford to lose him anymore. You know, once he comes back, he needs to be healthy for the rest of the season. And then with Corey Knable, he's been playing catch, and uh, the expectation is that he's going to be back mid to late August, and that's going to be a big addition for this bullpen, who's, which has kind of struggled aside from, you know, Kenley, Blake, and then Victor sometimes. Victor's been walking a lot of guys. So he's going to have to clean that up for the Dodgers to kind of have four of those guys in, in, in the bullpen to kind of stabilize the back end. So um, if they get those two, those two guys back, um, not to use the cliche, trade deadline additions, but that's kind of, kind of what they are. I mean, especially Knable. Um, Seager, this, this is a guy who they've expected. But Knable is a guy who they saw signs of. They took a chance on him in the offseason. They saw how good he was, he was pitching this season. So getting him back, that would be a big boost for the bullpen for sure. And one last one for me. Is Chris Taylor an all-star? Long pause for the dramatic effect. Yeah, um, I, I think, like it. I think if you look, if, if you, the definition of an all-star is kind of the, the value of it, um, then yeah, definitely. Um, but if you're looking at kind of the numbers, um, how many guys do you kind of lobby for to, to make the all-star game? Like Justin Turner's having a better season than Chris Taylor. Um, and like, I don't see people going like Justin Turner is a definite all-star, you know what I mean? So I think when it comes to the actual numbers, you can argue that he, that he is, you can argue that he isn't. Um, but if you're talking about the kind of the value that he pre presents to a team playing five diff different positions and playing them, most of them pretty well, like third base is not really his, his, his best position. But if you're looking at that, then yeah, sure. He should be an all-star. The problem is, where do you list him as an officer? Is he an outfielder? Is he a second baseman? Is he a shortstop? Is he, you know, it depends on on what way. Like, I, I don't know. I don't know if he can make it over outfielders because there's a lot of outfielders that have a, a much better numbers than he does. 
Um, can he make it as a second baseman? Probably. I think that might be his best bet. Um, I just, I don't know how that whole system works of like, where do you list a guy who's a utility guy? He's played mostly center field this year. So is he a center fielder? And like, I don't know how many, you can't pick him over like an Acuna or like, you know, like those guys just have way better numbers. Um, So it's interesting. I think you can argue either side. If I had to pick, I would say yes, because I see him every day. But I think if someone said no, I wouldn't be like, what are you talking about? You don't know baseball. Uh, Because like I said, guys like Justin Turner, like Justin Turner's having a better season than he is. Um, And is Justin Turner going to make the All-Star game? Probably not, because there's a lot of third basemen in the league. So I think it just kind of depends on how you look at it. That's a long-winded answer for, for, I don't know, I'm trying trying to stay neutral. But no, a solid are- answer, if I'm honest, because I think what gets lost in the fray is that he has, you know, he, he definitely, his specialty is he can play anywhere. Right. But which is his best position, in my opinion, my, his best position, second base right now, mm-hmm. he, he's got the, in my opinion, one of the better defensive gloves on that team. And obviously the offense speaks for itself. We don't really even have to question that, but I feel like that's a fair question because I feel like what's being overlooked is, well, he's a utility guy. So where where do you say his his best position is? And to your point, is he better than Ronald Acuna Jr.? No. So it's one of those where it's it's just interesting to see because people get for sure triggered about that. Oh, he's for sure an all star and blah blah blah. Listen, I agree. He's he's that dude's gonna get paid next year. He's gonna get paid somewhere. May not be here, but he's gonna get paid somewhere. But he's legit. But I just kind of wanted to hear your take on it because to your point, you see him every day. Yeah, he's a great player. I mean, th- there's no denying that. Like he's a he's a really good player. Um, I think he's probably the most invaluable player because he can play all over the field. Like Seager goes down, they move Lux to short. He can slot right in at second base. They lose Bellinger, he slots right into center field. So I think he's their most invaluable player. Uh, but again, he's he's hitting 260, 250 something with 10 homers. Um, and I know our batting average isn't a thing anymore, but like you're not, there's not many players, there's not many people around the league that are going to be pounding for a guy with that, with those surface numbers um, to make an all-star team. But if you look at the value of him, then he probably should be an all-star. They should add, what they should do is add like a utility spot. That's what they should do. And if they did that, then I'd be like, oh, it's a no brainer. He's for sure, gonna, you know, he's that guy. Um, but until they do that, or if they do that, it's going to be tough. Hey, Juan, so you covered the Rays last year, right? So I got to ask you this. Do you know, or were you still around to, to cover this? The reaction the Rays had to that letter, that article that Blake Snell wrote in the players, what's it called? The Players Tribune or, or, or something, basically talking about getting pulled out of that game six. How did the players react to Blake Snell? I mean, he was telling the truth, but at the same time, isn't it frowned upon to crap on your teammates like that? Um, I think so. When he wrote that, he was already w- with the Padres. So he was talking about his, I guess at that time, his former teammates. Um, and I think that was an interesting situation too. Cause if you look back at it, I mean, that's going to be one of the most talked about decisions in probably world series history. You know, it's not like it's not like he pulled them out like in some random game in September. Um, and I think the whole situation of it was an elimination game. The other team said post game how they were so happy that they, <laughs> you know, they pulled them because they knew that they weren't going to hit them that night. Um, th- that combination, I think I was I was there at that stadium and Dodger fans celebrated that decision when they saw Cash walking out. 
it sounded like Dodger Stadium like two nights ago. Like <laughs> it, people were going crazy. Um, so I think it's a combination of that. Um, and I don't think I don't think Blake said anything that that clo- that crossed the line there. Mm-hmm. Um, he just said I, I was the best option. And I think if you ask every starting pitcher in the league. Um, especially one that was pitching the, that was throwing so well that night, they will tell you the same thing. It's like, don't take me out. I'm going to do this. And if you look at the, the body of work for that night, I think Mookie and Roberts and those guys said it best. Like they weren't going to hit him. Like he was, I saw Blake Snow in 2018 when he won the Cy Young. Um, and he's had some up and down since then. And that was the best I've ever seen him. Like it wasn't even close, like even including in 2018, like he was locked in every, he had four pitches that were all working. So I think a combination of that makes it kind of okay. Um, it just depends who you ask. I don't think people in Tampa took it personally because I think everyone agrees like he shouldn't have been pulled of that game. All right, last one from me. This is uh, this is how we determine whether you're going to get a future invite to the carne asada. We're a bunch of uh, taqueros here on the show, and being that you're new to LA, we got to know what is your favorite taco? Like, what is a go-to taco that you got to have? Carne asada, el pastor, you name it. And if it's not a taco, what is your favorite go-to food? Um, so I actually do, I, I actually do like Mexican food a lot. Um, in San Diego, there's actually a spot in San Diego that I like a lot. Um, it's got a little bit bougie, bougie taco. Um, but they have like a filet mignon taco there. And that's like legit. It's like it's called places called Puesto. If you check it out, guys. San Diego. I think there's one in Irvine too, actually. If you want to go to Orange County, that this is I'm, I'm plugging them in already. Um, but I think if I had to pick, probably like carne asada. You can't go wrong with carne asada. Um, I like shrimp a lot, so a little shrimp taco. I'm in on those. Um, al pastor. Al, al, what's al pastor? So like it's, it's a pork. It's a marinated pork. Oh, nah, I'm not in on that to be honest. <laughs> So so what are there no places in LA that you like to go get tacos? You're out here pimping the Padres. I mean, the fans, how are you ingratiating yourself to our listeners? They're gonna go, this guy covers the Dodgers. I like uh no, you know which place I like? Uh uh Guisados. Okay, right by the stadium. That yeah, that's I actually went to the one in Pasadena. Uh-huh. Um, that's a good spot. Guisados is a really good spot. Um, what other Mexican place have I been to? I went to this Mexican place in North Hollywood, not for tacos. I had an enchilada. It was called uh, Salsa and Beer. I don't know if you guys prefer to that one. That was really good. So, no, no, Mexican, LA food, way better. So let me ask you, because we had one of your colleagues, Jorge Castillo, on the show, and he's an East Coast guy. Yeah. So did you experience the same culture, Shaggy? Because he told me, he's like, I've never been around Mexicans before in my life. Did you experience the same thing coming over here? Yeah, so Jorge and I talk about this all the time. Like, he's from Puerto Rico. His family's from Puerto Rico. My family's from the Dominican Republic. So we're, you know, pretty similar upbringings in terms of the culture. And, like, I was not, I've, I like Mexican food. That's about as close to, like, Mexican <laughs> I've ever gotten in my entire life. Like, back home, it's just, like, Dominicans, Puerto Ricans, a lot of Cubans in Miami, Venezuelans, Colombians. And then I come here, and it's, like, it's only Mexicans. I'm like, oh, shit. Like, it's crazy, you know? So, um, yeah, definitely, there was definitely a culture shock. I think I knew as little as Mexicans as they knew about me. Like, I went to go get a haircut. My barber's like, where are you from? And I'm like, yeah, I'm, Domin- I'm you know, my family's from the Dominican Republic. And he was like, okay, cool. And then we started talking about baseball. And I was like, yeah, you know, I didn't have a choice but to like baseball because my family's Dominican. And he was like, oh, they played baseball over there in the Dominican Republic? <laughs> I was like, oh, my goodness. Like, that's the only thing we do. <laughs> 
do they still say use that term? You don't walk off the island. You hit your way off the island. Is that yeah. still popular? Yeah, yeah, no doubt. You, no one, no one's signing you to a big bonus for having an OBP. Like, all right, so we're we're all about the culture here. So you tell me, what is a Dominican dish that I need to have? You gotta have some. You gotta definitely have some mango, which is like a. It's like a mashed potato, I guess you could say, of like plantains. Um, I have some mango, some mofongo, which is like, it's like, I don't even know how to describe it. It has like chicharrones and stuff. Um, so is it is it the same like the Puerto Rican style mofongo? Because yeah, yeah. Jorge was pushing that too. On- yeah, same style. They actually make it better than we do, if I have okay. to be honest. The, the Puerto Ricans make it better than we, we you know, we, uh, we copied it a little bit, but they make it better. Um, and then you just gotta go with the traditional like arroz, habichuelas, carne, habichuelas, the red, the red beans. I don't know what you guys call them, frijoles, I guess. Frijoles, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow, you guys are really sensitive on frijoles. They man. are. Jorge, Jorge got <laughs> super triggered when we called them frijoles. Yeah, when no. we called them frijoles. <laughs> yeah, they're not frijoles. They're like, yeah. oh, okay, I'm sorry. Damn. Yeah, habichuelas for us. So like, you know, you, you have some of that, and then if you want to go with like some like fried salami, uh, with some tostones, um. Those are that's a pretty legit meal right there. Now I'm getting. I feel like I don't don't know about you guys, but I I I think I I think that Tokayo here is getting an official invite to the carne asada permanently. What do you guys think? I just can't make them al pastor tacos. (laughs) Yeah, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not a big pork guy. Like I don't even like like hot dogs. Like they have like the hot dog. Oh yeah. Like that's not. It's not for me. Well, I guess your dog though. I mean, if you like, if you guys like the dog, your dog, that's fine with me. <laughs> I like, I like how he shrugged that off. Yeah, right, me, whatever. Like, I'm not, I'm not going to judge you. Yeah. They're just not for me. No, Hey, but you know what? I mean, again, you know, we had Jorge on it as Juan said, and he, my man got triggered when we called him frijoles. He's just like, yeah. whoa, whoa, whoa. It's just like, man, it's like, it, it was a culture shock though. To like his point, it was a big one. He, we talked before I came here. Um, he was just kind of telling me like, like you ain't gonna find no mango here. Like that, you you can forget about that. Like you're gonna find a lot of good tacos, uh, but you're not gonna find like your your type of food. So whenever I go back home, like my mom knows the drill. Like she knows that's what she's gonna cook, and it's gonna be great. Well, we'll have to have you back on the carne asada, Juan. Where uh, where can they find you on the socials? Yeah, so if you get me on Twitter, Juan J U A N C. Uh, Toribio, T as in Tom, O-R-I-B as in boy, I-O. I'm there on Twitter. I try to not tweet too much. Um, I tweet enough, not too much. Um, and then if on, on Instagram to plug my IG, um, it's jtoribio, M-O-B. Um, and then there I don't really post that much. So if you guys don't want to follow me there, that's totally fine. Well, every, uh, I'm going to go follow him uh, just so that way we can talk about it. Pastor tacos. Twitter, Twitter, definitely Twitter, though. If you're going to if you got to pick one of the two social medias, definitely pick Twitter. Twitter. <laughs> well, give him a follow uh, MLB.com Dodgers beat reporter Juan Toribio. Man, that's a tongue twister. Uh, joining us on the uh, on the podcast this week. Thanks for the time, man. Really appreciate it. We'll we'll, uh, we'll have to catch up with you down the road and we'll, we'll see if they make any moves like you're saying. Yeah, no, definitely, guys. It was fun. I appreciate it. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks again, Juan. Hey, this is Todd Lights, public address announcer for your Los Angeles Dodgers, and you are listening to the Bleed Los Podcast. And there you have it, Juan Toribio of MLB.com, Dodgers beat reporter, uh, joining us here in the Canasada. Interestingly enough, you know, obviously we recorded that. It was after the no-hitter. Emotions were high. Everyone was pretty bummed out. Now we fast forward. 
and the Dodgers took three of four from the Cubbies. Uh, you know, definitely, I, I do feel like that that no hitter may have lit a little bit of a fire under their asses, if you will, because uh, the offense has been has been you know they, for the most part they they've got it together. You know, six two three two seven one today, but uh, but the, you know the big kicker in all of it was the return of Cody Bellinger, and uh, and Cody had himself a weekend. What what was kind of your big takeaway from the series this weekend, Juan? You know, I got I got to tell you. So Friday, I was feeling okay because of the fact that they they Pollock hit that home run and then Muncie hit that home run, and I'm thinking, okay, here we go, and they beat the Cubs for the first time the whole year. So I was, it made me feel like, okay, well maybe we can beat teams that are good. Then I was at the game on Saturday, and I just want to bring this up. Uh, we have officially proven I am not a jinx. Because I have now attended three Dodger games at Dodger Stadium this year, and they're two and one. So I am not a jinx. I just want to clarify that. I know a couple of episodes ago, we were trying to determine who was the bigger jinx, if it was Babyface or myself. I think it, I have made a very good argument that I am not a jinx. Debunked. I would agree with that. Debunked. That, that Saturday game made me nervous again because even though that game started off great, they scored two runs in that first inning. Julio pitched great in that first inning. I was just thinking, okay, here, here they are again. This is something that we've talked about, and this is something that Babyface has mentioned. We haven't seen them consecutive games put up those five, six-run games to just really put teams out of uh, – put them out of the game. They had five runners – they left – five runners on base early in that game. And I'm thinking to myself, here we go again, just the previous game, they scored six runs and now we're struggling again. And it wasn't like they were facing the top of the line Cubs pitchers. It wasn't like they were facing Hendricks. So I'm sitting there, this guy had an ERA and, and I'm like, what? here we go again. We're struggling to, to score runs. And then Bellinger hits that walk-off home run. Who, by the way, I'm sitting there. I was behind the home plate when I'm watching that game. My compadre who was with, who I was with, the minute Bellinger hit that, he said to me, and he was a Cubs fan, he said to me, that's gone. I, on the other hand, waited until that ball went over the fence because I was convinced that that Cubs center fielder was going to rob Bellinger because this is how the Dodgers have been going this year. So the fact that they came out there today and they put a seven spot, and Kershaw goes eight innings. I, I didn't see that coming. I did not expect Kershaw to pitch the way Kershaw pitched today. I wish that we could see that consistently by Kershaw from Kershaw, but I don't think it's realistic. I just think right now they have to keep on that momentum and they have to beat the Giants because it seems like the Giants are just that that's that losing streak that the Dodgers experienced earlier in the year that the Padres experienced the Giants haven't and I would love to see the Giants experience that and I think the Dodgers need to be the ones that that do that I think the only way they're going to get a chance to win this division is they have to beat the Giants head-to-head and they got to find a way to start beating the shield pods head-to-head well and Zach McKinstry had himself a great day today Grand Slam got it got it going did the thing Cody Bellinger obviously, you know, smashed as well. And, but Kershaw, to your point, 13 K's to quote the, uh, the great uh, Michael Cole of uh, WWE television, vintage Clayton Kershaw. And, uh, and I listen, if, if he can keep that up, 
I won't be mad. You know, going into the break, if they can get something going, going into the break, I don't think anyone would complain by any stretch because they're still right there, right? And Juan, this week you uh, you uh, were given a, a pretty rad opportunity to go over to a Golden Road Brewery and uh, and partake in some uh, some tasting, but not of beer. So tell us what what did you uh, what did you do this week? That's right. The Bleed Blows podcast got invited to a special launch event for uh, Papa Cantella's Dodger Dogs. They are actually now selling the Dodger Dog. The same Dodger Dog that is being sold at Dodger Stadium is now being sold in stores. So we got invited to a launch event. And I also was given the opportunity to take one of our listeners to this event. So we attended it at the Golden Road Brewery. And I was able to partake in some uh, alcoholic beverages and beer, but we also got to taste the new Dodger dog. If you, for those of you who haven't had it at the stadium yet, there is a new Dodger dog. Farmer John is no longer per, uh, the supplier of the Dodger dog at the stadium. And that's something that I was able to uh, discuss with the president of the company, Tony Cantella. So I asked him about the, the, the fact that Farmer John is no longer around. I asked him about uh, the audience reaction, the fans reaction to this new Dodger dog, along with some other things. So I, I hope you enjoy the interview and I, I can't stress enough. Please continue to listen to the podcast because when, if we continue to have these opportunities where we can take some of our listeners with us to these events, that's how we want to reward you for listening to our show, for subscribing to the show and for writing reviews to the show. Yeah, so please subscribe if you haven't. Give us a follow on the Twitter machine. Uh, but on that note, here is uh, Juan's interview with uh, with uh, the Papa Cantellas folks. Hey, this is Todd Lights, public address announcer for your Los Angeles Dodgers, and you are listening to the Bleed Los Podcast. Okay, first question, Tony, is how did this whole deal with the Dodgers come about? Uh, so the whole deal with the Dodgers came about, we actually found out in the background, you know, it's a business that has not been available for over 60 years. And we started hearing some rumblings in the background that maybe this business was going to come up and available. So we started kind of using our back channels, started getting involved to find out if there was actually something going on. And we found out that the likelihood that they weren't renewing the Farmer John contract was true. So we started gathering ourselves and kind of putting our chips in. And, and what we thought about this whole process was we knew they were going to be talking to the Nathans, the Ballparks, the Oscar Myers, And there was no way we were going to compete solely on a brand basis with those kinds of people and maybe the money and things they would throw at it. So we knew right away we had one goal only, and that was to recreate or emulate the Dodger dog because that's what the consumers have been eating in the stores and in the stadiums for since 1958. So our team went to work, and we got a great group of people that have been working for us for a long time. We've been in business for 40 years. Let's go recreate the Dodger dog. And we knew that was the most important thing to us and make sure we applied our consistency and our quality of our product to it. So we went to work. We started messing around, and we recreated that Dodger dog. And when we gave it to the Dodgers, they kind of came back to it. Whoa, you actually kind of got that. And then I think it kind of made it a lot more easy for them to forget about the big brands going, well, it's less of a change if we keep with the Dodger dog. And that was kind of our sole focus on it. So we were pretty excited about it. So let me get this straight. It, it, it all depended on a taste test. They actually tasted the Dodger dog before they made their decision? Yes. So going into that, you mentioned that, you know, it's a business that wasn't available for 60 years. You have a lot of fans that have grown up hearing Farmer John. There's the commercials with Vin Scully and Farmer John. How do you win that same loyalty from the fans? Uh, all we can do is give it our best, and that's what we do on quality and consistency. It's no different than 
Ben Scully, right? He was there forever. He's gone. What do they do with the new guy? They're fine. They're happy with him. So all we can do is put our best foot forward and keep making good food for the consumers. And that was our f- sole focus. And and we don't pay attention to some of the social media stuff. And we people say, we value people's opinions, and we're not going to make everybody happy. But we felt good when we knew the Dodgers and the people that know that product were good with the product that we put together. So it's really about giving the, you a chance, right? And, and some time. I mean, you guys just started doing this. You know, the social media thing is a little different, right? Now, as a business, how do you guys approach things with social media? Because you're right. Social media, there's some people that are just haters that are going to go out there and just say something, and they've never even tasted the product. Yeah, well, for me, one other thing about it, too, is that I described about a three- or four-month process of getting the thing, but it really took us 40 years of being in business to get this. And and one of the things, I got a a card from a secretary that used to work for us for 25 years, and she said, hey, I heard, congratulations, she lives in Washington now. And I wrote her back, I said, you know what, you were part of this, because it's good people and that consistency to do hard work, to take advantage of good luck when it comes along. So when it comes to social media stuff, I don't have a lot of social media, so this is one of the first experiences I've had. And I've got on Twitter search, and I've looked around. I've heard what people said, and I'm a big sports buff. And, you know, they always tell when somebody's complained about somebody's play, turn off the news, don't pay attention to that stuff. I read through it for fun, but I can't take that stuff serious. I know and I'm confident what we do as a company across all our product lines that we'll apply that to the same Dodger Dog, and I'm very comfortable with that. You know, it's a, that's a very interesting correlation that you bring up because, you know, these players were just watching the game yesterday. Somebody strikes out. Oh, they immediately, they suck. You go on Twitter. This guy's horrible. You as a business, you know, running a business, you run around the same thing. How did you, how long have you been with the company? How, what, how did you get into this? So uh, actually kind of a funny thing. My father started the business right about 1980, and he was actually in the antique business. Had nothing to do with food. Have you ever seen that show American Pickers? Yeah. That's what my dad did. In the 60s and 70s, he had a little shop that was on Washington and Santa Fe, and he would fly to Iowa, and he said sometimes literally we'd say, hang a left. They had no clue where they are going. And I didn't really realize until about two years ago when I went to a pork processing facility out in Iowa, and I'm driving on the same roads, and I'm looking at this stuff going, now I get it. So they're driving on these big, long roads, and all of a sudden you see a property ahead of you, and there's four or five buildings on it. My dad would pull up at this random person's house and knock on the door, Hey, we're from out of town. We're lost. We don't really know where we're at. But they were really trying to get the eventual question of, what do you got in all those buildings? And, and the answer was most of the time, oh, a bunch of junk. But for them, that was treasure. And my dad was big into uh, music machines, coin-operated, pinball, slot machines. And they would make a deal with this person, rent a U-Haul or semi, bring everything back to California, refinish it, and sell it. Well, my dad, on top of being an entrepreneur, is a builder. And if he's not building, he's not happy. So he felt like a lot of the good stuff was starting to dry up. And he was, what am I going to build next? Grew up in an Italian family eating sausage with peppers and onions and thought to himself, hey, why not sausage sandwiches? Why only hot dogs? So like a good entrepreneur, he built a catering truck in 1980. And it looked like an old antique truck. So it was kind of the crossroads of his new path and his old path and a little barbecue on the back. But he didn't really know. Am I going to be building different style catering trucks for people? Am I going to run these things? Am I going to franchising? What am I going to do? So he got the cart built, and he went out, and he started going to mom-and-pop delis, Italian grocery stores, regular grocery stores. And he came home one day, and he had a little bag of spices and a grinder, and he said, I'm going to make sausage for a living. We said, you can't even barbecue without burning it. What are you talking about? Because he wasn't a cook. My mom did all the cooking. My grandfather cooked, but my dad didn't. But he had a vision what he was going to do. So 
he got going just making mild and hot Italian sausage. We were the first manufacturer in the country in 1980 to be able to label our Italian sausage. It's all natural. And one of the guys that used to go antique hunting with him was a store manager for Vaughn's just out here in Burbank. And he says, I'm not allowed to put your stuff in, but if you get your act together and you're official, I can help you get an appointment with the meat department. And you go down there and show your wares. And that's what happened. And my dad took the cart down there. And I think it was a couple things. My dad was a very normal person and he had good, clean product. And they said, you know, what? we'll give you five stores. So him and my mom would take that cart out to the Vaughn's stores do product demonstrations with it and by virtue of that they increased the sales of the product they had so i think vaughn's had maybe about 150 stores at the time and they kept giving them five five and i think it took them about a year and a half to get all the business at one time and then from there it just kind of started growing we started doing fresh sausage and then we started doing bratwurst and breakfast sausage and eventually we got an opportunity to jump into cooked sausage which was good for us because fresh sausage only goes in a certain area based on shelf life well when you start cooking and vacuum packing product now you're getting 30 40 50 60 90 days shelf life and we can start shipping around the country then it got to the point with some of the poultry sausages that everybody wanted to be in it and that category got impacted so in addition to those fresh and cooked sausages and hot dogs we also make meal kits and entrees everything from cauliflower mash to brussels sprouts to steak chili and different things like that too um so that's kind of how we got it how i got into it i've been there for 25 years now um i didn't grow up in it because at the same time my father started the business we moved 130 miles away and my dad would drive down here and spend the whole week down here and i always say i think this really extended my career because i didn't get beat up overhead as a kid in the business growing up and i got to the end of my college career and i started thinking to myself what am I going to do? You know, I took business. I took entrepreneurship. Well, why don't I at least start a job with my dad, get some experience, and kind of go from there? And at the time, my dad was kind of in a transition. He had some other businesses, food brokerages, different things. And he goes, well, I'm kind of changing things around right now, but if you want to jump on and go for a ride, let's do it. I started. I started as the secretary of the company, worked my way through the company. And one thing about it that kept me in is the food. I got a big family. My dad's got six sisters. We got tons of cousins, 27 cousins on one side, and we're always eating around food. And when it got into it, we're doing these fun things. We're doing sausages and poultry sausage with chicken, turkey, sun-dried tomatoes, black olives, feta cheese. It was really easy to get kind of sucked into it, too. And then being in L.A., my dad always used to say about the traffic, he goes, oh, traffic? I love it. He goes, every set of taillights I see parked in front of me, I know is an opportunity to go out and sell them some good product. <laughs> That's great. So I, I'm sensing a correlation here. I mean, it's a family business. You know, prior to this new ownership group with the Dodgers, you had the O'Malley's, you know, running the Dodgers. So being that this is a company that your father started, do you have any other pressure that maybe you put on yourself to make sure that this is a success that the company not only succeeds but this partnership that you started with the Dodgers succeeds um, I don't feel from a pressure point of view uh, I've had a very good relationship with my dad and he's got two different we have two different ideals which has made our working together He's done his thing to get the part, the company up and going. Like he always said, he goes, you probably weren't built to start the company, and I wasn't built to grow the company. And at the same time, he's very hands-off with me because I come to work and I do it. But that's just kind of how I was raised by him. It was how he raised me that I know i got to go to work and i got to do my thing. And for us, the customer is always number one. Uh, we talked to Dodgers about consistency and things like that, and, and that's what we're built off because we've never been the 800-pound gorilla. So our our basis is all based off of that quality and the consistency of the food because we can't snub our nose at somebody like Eh, you're just one of our customers. So for us to keep the quality and consistency of the Dodger Dog is like the easiest thing that we can do. Yeah, that's great. So being that uh, you, you, were you born in Los Angeles? Daniel, Memorial, Daniel Freeman Memorial Hospital in Inglewood, yes. Okay, so the big question is, 
Have you been a Dodger fan your whole life? And what does it mean, aside from the business aspect, what does it mean to have the Dodgers as as your partner if you are a lifelong Dodger fan? I am a lifelong Dodger fan ever since I became into sport, got into sports, probably when I was in first grade, obviously being down from this area. And then my aunt happened to live when I was a kid across the street from Steve Sachs in Manhattan Beach. So I got a chance to go over to Steve Sachs' house, meet him, get a signed glove. So, yes, I've always been a Dodger fan. So it's a little bit surreal because, again, it's not business that we even being in the business that we even thought about because it's just something that's been locked up for a long time. So for to have that opportunity and always in the back of our head when we were when we were presenting the Dodger dog, we knew Nathan's and those other sharks were kind of lurking around and just kind of like, "Ah, all right, we're going to do our best. You know, are we really going to get it? And then we got the call. We're like, damn, that was kind of (laughs) nice. So it feels great. It feels great to. I mean, it's probably the most iconic sports food in all the sports, and, and baseball's got a unique opportunity because there's so many fans in the same, they have so many games. It's really hard to, for even a football team or somebody to match up with that. So to be a part of the Dodger Dog is huge for us as a company. So who was your favorite Dodger growing up as a kid? Steve Sachs. I mean, I had to because of someone he met. I played a little second base myself, so Steve Sachs was. <laughs> May not be the most popular one, but it worked for me. So did you still... Do you stiff? Is the 1988 World Championship a little more important to you than the one that just we experienced last year? No, I wouldn't say it's more important. I think it's different. I mean, last year was just so different for everybody in it, and it was just kind of a wild year. But 88 would be what I would know best, right? So this is a big day today because today also you guys are selling your Dodger dog in stores and markets. Is that is that correct? Right. All right. Can you tell me more about that? Yeah. So the first shipments went out and, and uh, on Monday and should be hitting out on the store shelves today. And again, it was about taking that same product, putting it in the shelves like it was before. But I think one of the biggest things that we had different with it is the unique approach to the packaging. So it was our chance to do a refresh. We looked at what the folks had done before and we said now's our chance. So if you look at the packaging and some of the stuff that we saw on there, it was about bringing the Dodger Stadium into your own home, and that's kind of the approach that we took with the package. You got the Jumbotron on there saying the Dodger Dog's on there. We call them the Minitrons. You got a couple of Minitrons, like they have the ads with a couple notes on there on there, and we got the iconic Los Angeles palm trees in the back. So we tried to have some fun with it, but at the same time bring some life and some color to it and bring the people back into the stadium. So like today, when they're playing away, you can still have that same experience at home. So I saw the packaging today, and I saw it said pork. A lot of my my producer especially wanted me to ask you this. Is there a beef option with your Dodger dog? So the Dodger dog itself has always been all pork. And even when we talk about social media, there have been some people go, I liked it better when Farmer John had the all beef. It was never all beef. It was always all pork, right? And actually... One nice thing about that, it's probably in L.A., probably the only all-pork sausage that's going to be out in the retail, or sorry, pork hot dog that's going to be out in retail. And the thing I actually like about the pork hot dog is beef is a lot more rich, where in the pork hot dog, you're able to taste that smoke a little bit more, but at the same time, you get the toppings that come across, and that's what I like about the pork hot dog itself. There are beef hot dogs that we make at the stadium as well, too. There's a natural casing Brooklyn-style beef hot dog that we're making as well. That's got the old-fashioned snap to the casing. And then we're also making the Super Dodger dog as well, too. And that's the big four-to-one all-beef hot dog. Those are not part of the same retail products. The only retail product that's out there is actually the all-pork Dodger dog. Perfect. Now, there's a few questions that we ask all our guests here on the show. So one of the things that we ask is what do you feel about, as Todd Lights refers to them, the Houston Astros? They're going to be coming to L.A. Have you moved past this now that the Dodgers have won the World Series, or do you still have resentment towards that team? Uh, I try not to pay attention to something like that. I let, I let our team do their thing and move forward in life. 
Well, you are a much better man than I am. <laughs> so I know that you are an Italian, and I know we're here talking about the hot dogs. But again, on the Bloodless Podcast, we are taqueros. We love our tacos. So I know that you're Italian, but do you have a favorite taco? Is it carne asada, al pastor? Or, and if you do, is there a place around here that you go to? I'm going to tell you two things. Number one, my favorite taco is going to be Al Pastor. I like that the best. And the next thing, too, is chorizo tacos. And we might make Italian sausage, but I guarantee you make chorizo that I can send you some and that I'll put up against any chorizo out in the marketplace is the best chorizo out there. So you make your own tacos is what you're saying. So you won't won't go anywhere then. I'll, I'll go places, but if I'm making tacos at home, the ones that I make, I make crispy shell chicken shredded chicken tacos. Those are ones my family likes the most. So will we ever see the company perhaps making this famous chorizo that you're talking about that we can then use to make tacos when we're cooking in the backyard watching the Dodger game? Oh, we sell it now. It's available under our brand at, at Vaughn's Grocery Stores. It's also available at Stata Brothers in their cases. They sell it bulk in the case. And we make quite a few different chorizos. We even make Salvadorian-style chorizo and longanisa and different things like that as well, too. That's great. Okay, so we only have a few minutes left. Uh, One of the things I did want to discuss with you is how did the pandemic affect you guys? And are you guys recovering or what impacts are are you dealing with now that the pandemic, hopefully we're getting past it? So the pandemic, actually, we had a great sales year in that year. We were essential workers. We had a great group of employees. They all kept coming to work, and we supported them through this whole thing as well as they supported us. And um, so we actually got some more business out of this stuff for, for some of the grocery stores and things like that that had problems with labors and picking up some of the stuff that they were doing. We had challenges like anybody else as you went through the year and you had different spikes with viruses and stuff like that. But we were really lucky and really fortunate as a company, as employees, and as a family as well too. Right now is a whole separate set of things. As some of those things are going away, there's a lot of whiplash going on, we call it, in the meat industry. Um, Prices are through the roof. We've seen prices go up 50 60% on items in the last six months. There's a lot of labor issues, things like that. Again, we've been able to hold a tight enough core with our employees. So we just try to take things one day at a time. Our motto through the pandemic was, we're going to get up today, we're going to go to work, and whatever we got to deal with, we're going to deal with. And that's kind of what we took all the way through. And, and, and we're lucky to have a great support of a great group of employees. Okay, and then the last one from me, what do you think the Dodgers are going to do this year? I think the Dodgers will be in the World Series, not a question. All right, thank you very much. I really appreciate your time. Hey, this is Todd Lights, public address announcer for your Los Angeles Dodgers, and you are listening to the Bleed Los podcast. And and looking ahead to uh, to the rest of the week, the Dodgers have two very important games against the Giants, and we got uh, uh, Kevin Gossman and Discalfini uh, in the, going for their guys, and then for uh, for our guys, we have uh, Trevor Bauer and Walker Buehler. Uh, I, I know Roger had uh, said seven and zero last week, so Roger. We'll begin with your prediction for the week. What is uh what is the uh, the outcome going to be uh, with the the Dodgers and the Giants series, and also going to Washington to face the Nationals? Oh, I think the Dodgers got it. They got to sweep the Giants. I mean, there's no way around it. They got to take two. I mean, yeah, you know, at the end of the day, if they split it, okay, cool, whatever. But they if they got to if they're going to start making their move, they got to do it now. And this would actually, as as Juan was alluding to. They, they need to go into that losing streak. You know, they lost today. Give them two more losses. You know, that's three. Start putting them into a, into a little losing streak. So we'll start with that. And then they're going to... to they have a four-game series with Washington. So, same thing. Got, uh, so, you know, they've been playing a little better, but they should still take three out of four in, in, in D.C. 
I uh, I think they're going to split in D.C. And I think they'll split in San Francisco because the Nationals are actually getting hot. And the crazy thing about the Nationals, Juan Soto hasn't even gotten hot yet. So that that's scary that they're uh, starting to write the ship. But I'm still a little skeptical about those Nats just because they're in, in arguably the worst division in baseball. Juan, what's your prediction for the week? I my prediction for the week is uh, I think they are going to sweep the Giants and I, I think they'll split with the Nationals, um, but I do expect them to to have a winning week. I expect them to go four and two. One thing I am going to be looking for next week uh, forward to is if Bellinger continues to to continue to play well. I thought it was very interesting that we saw Bellinger in the new in the number two spot today so i'm curious to see if putting him in that number two spot is going to get him started because if that guy goes ahead and and starts heating up it might help the rest of the offense all fair points well on that end and that note we will end it but thank you guys again for checking us out uh, if you're not following us please follow us uh, on twitter at bleed Los podcast uh, dodgers beat that's the handle and, uh, and you can find our handles uh, on the uh, Bleed Lost Podcast uh, Twitter page. But until then, we will catch you guys next week. Stay safe, and we'll talk to you then. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. Please subscribe and leave a review to the Bleed Lows Podcast. The Bleed Lows Podcast is a Dodgers Beat production. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.